G'day and thanks for tuning in to the Outpost Church podcast. We are in an Advent series. Advent simply means arrival and it's a reminder for us of what the arrival of Jesus means for us. We have hope, peace, joy and love all in the person of Jesus Christ. I also want to challenge you to seriously consider getting involved in our upcoming Discipleship Training Week. We just had what was a remarkable church camp in October. It's amazing what happens when a group of people just say no to the various competing demands of life for a few days and fix their eyes on Jesus. This is not a new concept. The Jews would take the journey up to Jerusalem three times a year in spring, summer and autumn. It wasn't about learning something new. It was about being reminded of what matters most and collectively declaring that God is worth all that we have to give. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Take a week and join with us in kicking off 2023 with Jesus front and centre. And now, here's the teaching from our Sunday gathering. How exciting. We're in the Advent season. Who gets really excited about Christmas? Who not so much? Riley? I see that hand. No. <laughs> I've heard. No. <laughs> Who's got a Grinch in the family? Who's got a Grinch? <laughs> um, yeah, who finds Christmas to be maybe a tricky or a challenging time for various reasons? Yeah. Lots of us. It's, you know... It's an interesting time for families and family dynamics and things come to the surface that it's not all easy. But I love in the church getting to talk about Christmas because one thing that I I feel so strongly is, you know, Christmas, the message of Christmas is really for the people that don't like Christmas, if that makes sense. Like, it's, it's good news for all people. Like the good news that we celebrate and remember at Christmas is exactly for the people that maybe don't like Christmas because it's the hope that we can believe for a better day or that, you know, that, that Jesus broke in and transformed what was a bleak situation to something beautiful and he'll do the same in each of our lives. So even when we're in the midst of that, not knowing that we can celebrate. So it's exciting to jump into the Advent season and how convenient that the morning service has put up hope, peace, joy and love, which is what the next four Sundays will be focused in on. So I'm starting with hope today. How good. So I want to involve you guys all. That's why you've got a little card and a piece of, uh, and a pen, hopefully. So what I w- would like you to do is to maybe write hope in the middle of the card. Small, write it small so you got room. A couple of card. There's some more in here. Bigger ones. 
<laughs> Do you need one, Dave? Um, so if you write hope, and then I want you to write around the word, any of the keywords that come to mind. Just think, try not to be super spiritual. Just think of how, because we'll get to that. We'll get to the super spiritual. But when you think of hope and how, and even just how we use hope generally in our culture, what, what are the words that come to mind with hope, right? The words, or maybe it's a, a, a sentence or a phrase, but what in our cultural context do we normally mean by hope? We'll do, the, we'll do the super spiritual on the back. So just culturally, what does hope mean usually? And maybe you can turn to your neighbor if you haven't already, Margot. And... <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Ask and you will receive. Um... So, yeah, turn to your neighbor and share what you've kind of, what you've been thinking. Compare notes. What are the key things that come to mind for hope? All right. Does anyone want to share what they've come up with? What, are, what do you normally think of with hope? Or what does hope normally mean? Belief in something impossible. Yep. Vision. What? Promise of better. Mm -hmm. Future. Yep. Yep. Oh, nice. Bit abstract. Like it. <laughs> a want, a wish. Yep. Hope far away. Oh, that will find a way. Yep. Anticipation. Good one. Um, yeah, there's a real mixture there of different kind of things that it can mean. Um, I, I find often the most often usual way that hopes utilize is things like, oh, I hope I win the lotto, or I hope, can often be attached to things like you said, Joe, that are really, it's something impossible. It's like, oh, I hope this will happen, or I hope, it's often expressed in a really wistful, kind of wishful thinking almost way, like, oh, I hope, where there's a, a fair bit of nervousness or lack of confidence, maybe, that that is going to happen. Would you agree that there's, that element. I mean, hope is one of those big, broad words as well. It's really hard to kind of hone in on it because it can be covering a lot of different ground. But yeah, in terms of how we use it most culturally, I think it is to express this idea of, oh, I really want that to happen, but I don't think that it will. Like yeah, it's a, it's a dream. It's a, it's a desire, but it's disconnected probably from reality. Um, but this is really actually the opposite of what biblical hope is, and which is really interesting, I think, that the word hope can mean quite different things. And we want to obviously understand what does it mean from a biblical perspective? What is hope? What is the hope that we have? Jesus is the hope of the world. What does that mean? So we're going to start off by doing something I haven't done for a little while, but using a Bible project video. Who's familiar with the Bible project? 
I haven't like dipped into their videos for a while and I'm like excited to rediscover it. It's such it's on YouTube. All the videos are free. Every book of the Bible they have like an animated overview for what happens in each book. Plus they have word studies and themes from the Bible that they unpack in animation and it's so well done and so helpful. An amazing free resource to the church. So going to use that one tonight. And maybe, Rob, do you mind switching the lights in the church for us? Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll put that on now. Thanks, Riley. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavas for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find this same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kava for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. 
More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the Elpis of glory. In both cases, this Elpis is based on a person, the risen Jesus who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. Cool, I want you to take a minute, you can flip over your card and maybe just add to it anything new from that new piece of information or something that stood out to you, just jot that down. It, it kind of really overlaps with faith, doesn't it? Yeah. It's interesting, while I've been doing this, trying to think about the difference between, because it's like faith, hope and love. These three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest is love, but it's like, what's the difference between faith and hope? How are they distinct? Yeah, definitely. And again, it's like hope's overlapping with patience. So it's like hope's a bit like faith, it's a bit like patience. It's kind of any other thoughts or reflections from that? Yeah, waiting for something good that you know is coming. That's a great summary and that's the shift from the hope how we use it in our, our culture of like I don't really think that it's going to happen I'm really doubtful that it's going to happen but I hope that it will our hope in God is like I know it's going to happen so great segue for me to jump back in to what I'm going to say thanks Charlotte um thanks guys for participating it'd be a good thing over dinner to chat about the things that you you know, took out from that or wrote down on those cards. But, yeah, so I think biblical hope, it's less like hoping you'll win the lotto and more like anticipating an already paid for and booked holiday, right? Yes, I, I, there was a great resonance with that. Anyone really needing a holiday right now? <laughs> Looking forward to holidays. Um, and... <laughs> COVID and other, you know, unforeseen events, you know, notwithstanding. Um, but what impact does having a paid and booked for a holiday have on your psyche? Just ponder that. When you know it's all done, it's all organized, it's there, I'm just crossing off the, the squares on the calendar. Is that a good feeling? We can all, like, tune into that. That is... You know, what would we call that? We would probably less be inclined to call that hope, wouldn't we? But what would, we, what would be a word that you might describe that? Anticipation. Rob brought that one out earlier. Anticipation. Any other words? Excitement. Mama, I thought you might be avoiding that one. Um, mom. <laughs> Excitement. I was thinking, this one, I was reflecting on a bit as I prepared this. I'm like, excitement. I, f I think hope is like, a, you know, 
godly version of like, ex, you know, just being excited. It's this revved up. Don't you? Mum's got a bit of an aversion to excitement. It's been a bit of an ongoing thing for us because I like excitement. Yes, Jess? Like, uh, yeah, maybe it crosses over that, that sense of, you know, that you're not, I think in the way that you don't yet experience it, but you're, you're looking forward to it. Yeah, it's just, it's there, but you know it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> That's a hope too. Like, you're, it's the engagement's happened. It's it's locked in. You know, it's coming. You just you're hoping for it. It's not a oh maybe one day we'll get married. It's like now nah, the date is set. It's happening. Yeah, you, you're, you're crossing off the days. Um, yeah, it does. There's so I'd love to do a Venn diagram and just. <laughs> You know, where all the overlaps are, because it's just really fascinating as you explore it, trying to identify what it is. One thing that I, I reflect on, I think it is an overlap with emotion as well. Like things like faith, obviously joy is expressed in emotion, but like faith, not necessarily really emotive in itself. It's like I believe I'm, it can result in emotions, but I think hope, it's kind of like the ex, almost like the expression expressing that how we express that how we anyway we'll keep going um but yeah how good the thought of something good that's coming that you know is going to happen and you're just looking forward to it and anticipating it like that's a good feeling and I think the holidays one I think we can all easily tap into and to think that feeling of just like oh yes it's coming that's sort of the state of being that we're meant, that God wants us to be in all the time in terms of the hope we have in him and that that is something that is accessible for us to be tapped into and to think, you know, we don't just have to wait for that one, that exciting thing or live from exciting event from exciting to event if that's the kind of personality you are where you're like, oh, nothing to look for, oh, I'm a bit like this, oh, not really looking forward to anything, oh, something, something to look forward to, ooh, fun. It's like we have this inbuilt hope that brings us joy and keeps us going because, you know, he, he's always there. It's not something that comes and goes. And the hope that we have in him is constant. Um, and Jesus is the hope of the world. And that's what we're celebrating at, at Christmas and, and remembering and wanting to go a little deeper on. I love, you know, coming around every year, circling back, back to the basics, back to Jesus coming to earth as a baby and remembering it. And I think I've heard it described once in a Bible commentary, just this concept of like a spiral staircase of like revisiting the same truths, but from a different vantage point. And I think each year we come, we can come at the same truths that are timeless, but we've had different life experiences, different things happening, and, and we see different facets of the beauty of that, and we go to diff, like greater depths in it. So it's just constantly this renewing excitement and hope and discovery, which is so cool. Uh, I've got a passage in the Bible here, and I didn't do the, <laughs> I didn't do what book it was from or chapter. I just have the verses. <laughs> So prizes if you could, yeah, if you recognize. I think, it's, I think it's Romans. Listen in. Maybe you can Google it while I'm doing this. All right. You who are not Jews by birth, here is what I want you to remember. 
You are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcised. But they have only been circumcised in their bodies by human hands. Before you believed in Christ, you were separated from him. You were not considered to be citizens of Israel. You were not included in what the covenants promised. You were without hope and without God in the world. At one time you were far away from God, but now you belong to Christ Jesus. He spilled his blood for you. This has brought you near to God. Anyone know where it is? Yeah. It might. Yes, that's it. Ephesians 2. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound like Romans. Well, I think they're written both by Paul. So, yeah. Um, this is, this is what we remember. You know, most of us, I think, are all Gentiles in here. We were separate, you know, the, the gospel came first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We were without hope. We were without access to God. And this is the good news, that those of us that were once separated far from it, had no idea, couldn't access the Father. Now we have access. We've been brought near. We can, you know, his blood has paid for us to become a part of his family. This is the best news ever. And, you know, we've gone from being a people without hope, without that confident expectation of good from God, like being cut off from him, to being a people of hope who can hope in him, who um, can trust in him, who find our place in him. How good is that? Another scripture I haven't. <laughs> um, all right, the ver- it's from Peter, but it's this is like the quiz keeps going. Um, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So this is like following on. We have this hope. We have this access to God. We have this you know, this new life in Him. And we need to be ready to share that with other people. And that's so key as well. And, and I think what stood out to me about this as well is that, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, be ready. And that stood out because I think our hope should be noticeable. If we're people of hope, it's, there's something different about us that's going to make us stand out, that's going to cause people to ask about that hope because if we truly have hope if we have this confident expectation that God is at work in our lives you know if we believe the promises like all things work together for good for those who love God you know if we believe that you know surely his goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life you believe that that changes how you operate in the world that changes your countenance that changes your perspective and it allows you to live full of joy and you know I was was talking with Nick about this and he said it's like the opposite of dread and I think that's a really helpful thing to latch on to because you know that feeling of dread we all from it's like oh something bad or something we're not looking forward to it is the opposite it's like oh I don't want that to happen or oh something bad is coming it's a horrible feeling and this is the opposite so we We've been moving from a place where we had this sense of dread of like being cut off from God, of 
of insecurity, of being on our own in the world, of having to take care of ourselves and never knowing what's going to happen next, to goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We know what to expect. We don't have to live in fear. And of course we all know, yes, this doesn't mean that bad things won't happen and bad crises will take place in our lives and we know that will happen. But the even greater reality than that is God's ability to work all things for good. And so, you know, I love that verse. um, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It just sums it all up so beautifully. The whole suffering, where is God in the suffering? It kind of, in one sentence, he kind of answers. It's like, yes, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So even in the midst of our challenges and the bad things that do happen, we can still be confident. We can still be hopeful and full of joy because he's promised that everything will work out for good. So... What, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? If we really believe that, if we've really allowed that to to settle in us, that changes how we approach life. And, you know, when things that go wrong, instead of having that knee-jerk, like, maybe I am on my own, maybe God has abandoned me, maybe, you know, like, ah, we have not, well, how is God going to work in this? Like, what's he going to do next? You know, that we can sit on the edge of our seats of watching Instead of like, oh, I'm watching some crazy horror film and I don't know what scary thing's going to happen next. It's like, ooh, I'm watching a much-loved movie where I know what's going to happen next. But it's like, ooh, how's the, how's the plot going to all come together? How's it, you know, it's a sense of trust because we're sitting with God. He's got us. We can sit and watch. How's he going to turn this disaster into something beautiful? <laughs> what's he going to do next? And the cool thing about this hope is we can be full of hope without physical evidence for hope. And this was touched on in the video as well. It's like even in the darkest situation, you know, that doesn't actually affect our hope. And it's actually the opposite. It's like the more dark things can be actually the more reason for hope. Um, And, you know, in the video they referenced the door of hope. Did you notice that? Pick up on that. And it's a quote from Hosea that says, I'll turn the valley of Achor into a door of hope. Who's familiar with the, the valley of Achor and the significance of that? Anyone? No one? No, neither was I. Um, so I looked into that a bit more and I'm, I'm here to fill you in. So what was the valley of hope? So, yeah, and I also... Fun fact, this is two weeks in a row that we're quoting from Hosea. That doesn't happen every week. I I was listening to Shane's message from last week today, and he quoted from Hosea. I was like, ooh, twice in a week. That's pretty good. All right, so the Valley of Achor, it is where Achan was buried. Why was Achan buried there? Well, in the Battle of Jericho, so the Israelites, when being led by Joshua, they'd taken the city of Jericho, and they'd been told strictly by God to not take any of the plunder for themselves, but to consecrate it to God. And so Achan, he actually stole plunder. He found a beautiful Babylonian tunic that he found irresistible. 
and um, some silver and some gold and he took it and he hid it in his tent even though that was like directly opposite to what God had told them. And so he had that hidden and then as a result, and so no one else knew that he'd done that and they went into battle against AI, AI spelled, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but they went and battled against them and it should have been an easy win, much weaker than Jericho, it should have been easy, but they got defeated, lots of lives lost and then Joshua comes back all confused and angry at God and he comes to the altered tears and he's like, oh God, why did you bring us here? Why did you, da, 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 da. And then God's like, get up. Like literally, it's so, he's so hard. He's like, get up, get off your face. Like, why are you on your face? He's like, someone did what they weren't supposed to do. That's why, you, you know, because it, it was interesting that Joshua's instinct was kind of like, God, what have you done? And then God's like, no, what have you done? One of you has not done what you're supposed to do and it is a real insight to how God works with a, a nation of people and he sees them as one and one person's action brought you know condemnation on the whole of Israel um, so then you know it comes to light this is what Akan has done and they go through this kind of process to figure out because obviously he didn't he didn't confess he didn't come forward but they did this process of elimination and worked out Okay, it was a con, and then him, his family, all his possessions got stoned to death and buried in the valley of Echor. So, I know, it's, pretty, it's a pretty gruesome, horrible story, and it's a pretty gruesome, horrible valley, right? It's a horrible place. The valley of Echor was a place of judgment, of grief, of shame, of disappointment. You know, they were grieving probably this family, but also the people that died in the battle that shouldn't have died. His actions, you know, his acts of disobedience bringing this on the whole nation. Like, there's a lot of pain and grief and mess in this. Lots of consequences. And this is the Valley of Acor. And, you know, and it's in the middle of that that's the picture that's taken and used by the prophet Hosea to say, in the valley of Achor, I've put a door of hope. And, you know, I reflect on, you know, I think we all, we all have acts of disobedience, acts of shame, acts, but not only things we've done, but things that have been done against us, you know, things that have happened in our lives that have created like a mess and have created like a monument to shame. And it's like in that place that you don't even want to talk about it. You don't even want to visit. You don't want to go there. And it's there that God's saying, I've put a door of hope in the middle of that. Hope. A door of hope. A way out where there seems, when it seems like a dead end, literally. A door in the middle of darkness. A door in the middle of death. A door in the middle of despair. So there was no earthly reason to hope. We hope. Because God is above and greater. And he's able to transform these things into something beautiful. He gives beauty for ashes. In John chapter 10, verse 9. Oh, I got the reference there. It says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. 
The cross is a picture of death and despair, sin, hopelessness, pain and grief. Like, can, can you get a more miserable state of affairs than the cross? You know, what's happening on the cross, the horribleness of what took place on that. And yet that is our door of hope in the valley of trouble. And that's what Acor means, valley of trouble. In our trouble, he created a way out. Whether it's our failure or someone else's failure, our disobedience or someone else's disobedience, the sin, shame, destruction, he's hope in the midst of that. Like, if this isn't good news, what is, right? To think the things that we want to just skirt around or ignore or move past as fast as we can and put into the back of our minds, you know, he's not afraid of those things. He's, not un- he's able to work with those things. He's able to transform them. What trouble, if he can transform, you know, that story, that trouble, the, the story of Achan and, and turn that situation, flip that. If he can flip the cross from a moment of death and destruction and despair and horror and he can flip it into the best thing that ever happened to humanity, what in our lives can he not deal with? There's nothing that is too hard for him. And when we, you know, I know I've had things in my life where I think about them, I think, oh, it's just, it feels like I know it's not, but it feels like it's too hard for God or it's in the too hard basket or just, uh, it's too much for me. And, you know, but it's not too much for him. And, you know, if I could really believe that, it does change my outlook. It does change my countenance and my approach to things, you know. It goes from being fear and dread and avoidance and anger to, but God's at work in this. What's he going to do? It's not all up to me. I'm not alone in the world to figure it out. He's promised to transform it. He transformed my life. He's He's enabled a door of hope, a door of salvation for all people. Like, you know, in Romans 8, it says, you know, he did not withhold his own son, but surrendered him for us all. And with this gift, will he not fail to lavish on us all he has to give? What an incredible statement. Like, God, like, if we ever attempted to believe God's maybe holding out on us as we pray for things, as we're seeking breakthrough, it's like, let's remember this. He didn't withhold his own son from us. He's not withholding anything from us. He will lavish on us all he has to give. And as we lean into that and believe it, we get to experience that, that hope and that joy. And there is a waiting in it. It's not because we don't instantly receive all that we're hoping for and in Romans 8 as well it says you know why should a man hope for what he already has but in waiting for that it shows endurance like there's certain things that have been promised that we don't see the fulfillment of yet as we wait for it we are enduring and we look forward to what he's going to do but we endure not in a like slog It's a joyful endurance because we do trust him and it is certain. The outcome is certain. We know the end. We know what he's going to do. And so it frees us up. We don't have to be in the state of tense 
anxiety, wondering how it will all pan out. Yes, we don't know the finer details of what it will look like, but we know the big overarching thing is it all works out for good. And so we can rest in that and we can allow ourselves to relax into that and release the things that we're afraid about and release the things that we're dreading, release the things that have caused us disappointment and grief and allow his love and his hope to overwhelm that and to refresh us. Our hope is based on him. It's not based on the facts. It's not based on the reality of what we're facing. It's based on him, who God is, and he is able. So it's a sure hope. It won't disappoint us. And it might look foolish to the world. It is foolishness to the world, but it is wisdom to trust in a God that has proven he is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. How good? How good is hope? Who feels hope rising? Um, All right, I'm going to pray a little prayer for hope over you. Um, And then we'll, have we got one, two, how many more songs? Two and a half more songs. Awesome. So you guys can come on up and we'll, yeah, let's just, you know, worship and celebrate and be refreshed in that reality of the hope that we have, the salvation that we know, and to maybe where you've been tempted to, instead of having hope, you've had dread. Maybe just bring that to God and confess that and say, I'm sorry, I haven't been believing you in this area. Lord, I give that to you. I know you are able to work this out for good and I hand it to you afresh. And maybe we have to do that multiple times a day in, in certain seasons with certain things, but he is able and he will fulfill all he said he would do. He is trustworthy. So if you want to stand um, as I pray and prepare for worship, but um, maybe if you feel comfortable, put your hands up to receive. Um, this blessing as I pray over you. You want to stand? Stand and receive? (laughs) Is it easy to receive when you're sitting? Sometimes. (laughs) It's from Romans 15 verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray it one more time. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill each of us completely with joy and peace because we trust in Him, that we would overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.